And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winter, and I'm here as always with the illumined Dr. Bear Paul Lando coming to you live and direct from the great state of Jefferson, where freedom still reigns supreme. Here on the uh, beautiful Smith River, where the sun is shining today, Bear, Uh, spring is definitely here, man. Finally, mid-April, it's arrived. I was just doing some Kriya yoga out in the sun, getting revitalized. It seems like winter is finally ending, my man. Thank God. It was a bear of a winter, huh? And uh, Miss Kaya, we're a little jealous of you, young lady, being in uh, Miami there in Florida. I'm not sure exactly where you're at, but so good to have you here. Uh, Mike's going to do a little intro for you, and then I'll throw in my two bits there. But really looking forward to a good conversation with you. And uh, and you're uh, very multidimensional and talented, so we have a lot to talk about. And uh, we're going to kind of let you take charge and and lead the way there, and then we'll do some color commentary. But uh, Mike, why don't you jump in there? I don't have anything to report here at the farm. Uh, Well, uh, let me say this real quick. We're doing a lot of regular Instagrams now uh, because we're starting our spring planting and all our prep and everything for another season. We're doing construction expansion here on the Alpha Veda campus, as we uh, humorously like to call it. And um, yeah, so everybody out there will be able to follow us on Instagram. Then Deb and I are coming out with our new series, Off Grid Elegance. And a lot of good people are going to be involved with that. And uh, that's going to kick off our spring. Mike, take it away. Yeah, so follow us. uh, Go to alphavedic.com, A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com. And there has all of our links. You can find our Instagram and our Telegram, t.me forward slash alphavedic. I'll be uh, posting a lot of those videos to Telegram and our Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash alphavedic. Exciting times indeed as spring comes, uh, you know, that's when the growing season kicks in and that's really where the fun starts on the land. Uh, And then finally, um, the end of covid uh, dot com. Go check that out. Uh, that is going to be a massive online event launching June 20th. Alphavedic's presenting with The Way Forward. Uh, finally, the show is over. Uh, that's very exciting. And then, of course, Music and Sky, um, August uh, 18th through the 21st, Bear, Dr. Bear Lando will be the keynote speaker, musicandsky.com. Kaya, that'd be fun if you and Sean could make it out to that. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about that later. That'd be a hoot to have you guys come out. Um, Kaya Lee is the founder and director of Sacred Breath Academy, an established leader in the breathwork field for over seven years with more than 500 sacred breath facilitators around the globe on six continents and over 45 countries and counting. Quote, breathwork is the key to unlocking the grail within. As the creator of the Sacred Breath Method, Kaya stewards a modern-day feminine mystery school and supports thousands of women globally through sacred feminine embodiment, trauma release, womb healing, and full-spectrum reclamation. Quote, Sacred Breath Academy is a modern-day mystery school that preserves a large body of wisdom teachings, synthesizing both ancient and modern knowledge into powerfully unified transmissions. Kaya is an international teacher, speaker, and trainer who has traveled the world extensively to share her training in emotional intelligence, somatic experiencing, polyvagal theory, compassionate inquiry, conscious communication, the subconscious domain, trauma and nervous system awareness, and much, much more. Quote, before we may harness any kind of collective change, we must first live and embody that change within ourselves. While crafting sacred and transformative containers for over a decade, 
Supporting thousands of people all over the world, Kaya's life's work exists for one essential reason, to guide others home to themselves so that they may fully reclaim who they are on the deepest levels. The sacred breath method facilitates expanded states of consciousness to establish new neural pathways in the cultivation of emotional intelligence, somatic healing, soul retrieval, and the integration of the knowing that you are a multidimensional, whole, and sacred being. Bear, this that pretty much summarizes uh, what we're all about right there. <laughs> I knew, Kaya, you fit in so well here. Yeah, I think it covers it. So Kaya, a wonderful name first off. That's uh, my granddaughter's name. My, uh, I raised my kids in Hawaii, so that was a popular name. It was, it was uh, spelt a little different uh, with uh, K-A-I-A, but uh, yeah, great name. So um, wonderful to have you here, and uh, thank you once again. I know that uh, we're going to have kind of a discussion that's going to have a life of its own here, and I don't know where it's going yet, but I know you are very prominent in the breathwork uh, community, and I know that's not all you do. But, uh, you know, in my uh, practice days, and even to this day, when I consult with people, the, the first thing I tell them beyond all the other modalities and lifestyle changes and everything is breathe. And I don't know why, but it's, it's the most uh, accessible technology available to us for our health. It's uh, right under our nose all the time, and it's free. And it's the hardest thing to get people to do. And I never understood that. And, uh, you know, in uh, my martial arts training, we call breath a strategy. And uh, there's a reason for that, it, depending on what kind of uh, physical endeavor, if you're in combat or whatever, you do different kinds of breathing. And of course, it does convey your intent, your will force, and, and also mobilizes your chi to whatever body part that, you know, you want to uh, have accessible at any time. So, um, you know, breath is so, so important. And what I liked about um, one of the things I read when I was preparing your newsletter uh, yesterday for this episode is that you mentioned about open mouth breathing. And of course, most people, even if they don't know what it means, they somehow have understood that mouth breathing isn't that great. And of course, uh, when you breathe through your mouth, it activates your sympathetic nervous system. And it doesn't really access your uh let's just say your higher bandwidth uh you know it's it's appropriate for when you need it but uh we need to close our mouth now there's a very um popular uh trending um kind of ice bath uh, combined with breathing sort of thing out there which i love by the way uh we were doing it way before anybody heard about it because after two days in football it was mandatory you had to jump in the ice tank and so we just got used to laying around in, uh, you know, in baths of ice. I never knew it would be the trend someday. But um, the breathing part, I think, is essential. And, and that one gentleman that popularized it, I think he was right on. However, I found that I can do that whole technique, but not have to breathe through my mouth. And I prefer not to, even if it's a little temporary uh, hyperventilation thing that, you know, goes with, uh, you know, that particular practice. But I'm going to let you take it away. And since, uh, you know, breath is our our, our conduit and, uh, you know, everything else follows that, let's start off maybe just with a few words uh, about that. Then we can segue from there into anything you like. And maybe even before breath, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into all this in the first place. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And I'd love to just share a little bit of my story and then mm -hmm. comment on several of the pieces that you shared. There's so many different Great. rabbit holes to go down with that, but yeah. uh, I'll just Sorry, start. I threw a lot out there all at once. <laughs> okay, no worries. So so to your point and to, to the entire ethos of our work, um, really the, the issue that I saw, which led to the entire creation of my academy and my method, um, the issue I saw was that so much of modern day breathwork was dysregulating. Um, most, most conscious connected breathwork, which is kind of holotropic style where we're working with that circular breath pattern, eliminating the pause and really evoking those deeper parts of ourselves, like repressed emotions, traumas, things like that. Most of the breath work I found when I first started about 10 years ago was hyper-masculine in the sense that there was a lot of force and push and aggression and this piece of overriding our body, overriding our physiology, um, pushing against the nervous system rather than working with it. And then of course, as you mentioned, most of it was that open mouth format, which as you spoke to a moment ago, creates the fight or flight sympathetic nervous system response in the body. So through that temporary stress response, you know, that the idea in the work that many people feel like they're doing is to recreate and re-stimulate trauma, right? That's their, their goal. It's like, let's go into this stress response. Let's go into this sympathetic state. Let's re-stimulate the trauma to heal it. To me, that is immensely counterintuitive because as we re-stimulate trauma, we want to be in a relaxed and open, a receptive, a surrendered state to more deeply meet what's arising and on another level to re-entrain safety into our system through the neural pathways because we are in a theta state in breathwork journeying. So we're in a very susceptible, even hypnotic state. So when we evoke those repressed emotions, those wounds, those traumas, um, all of these things, we want the body to be open and receptive to meet what's arising. And so I found that that comes through the parasympathetic, not the sympathetic. And so there's a lot of misunderstanding I find in the breathwork world, because I guess if you were to really draw it back, it's like, just because the way something's always been done doesn't mean it's necessarily correct or aligned or optimal or can't be challenged. And so I feel like part of my dharma and my soul path is to challenge the breathwork industry to really invite more trauma awareness, more nervous system coherence, more of the feminine principle, which lives within all of us. It's not specific to women and really invite an allowance over force. So Sacred Breath Academy was created amidst a sea of very aggressive, dysregulating, fight or flight inducing, even re-traumatizing breathwork, where I found there was very little ceremony, very little intentionality. There wasn't nervous system awareness, trauma awareness, polyvagal awareness. The containers weren't nourishing. They didn't have processing and safe spaces to really um, ground in the deep work that was happening. It was like, you pop in, you breathe, you pop out and you're sent on your way. And so that's really what I found in the main. And so essentially I was divinely guided by spirit and my soul to create another way. And really the ethos of that is we don't have to force ourselves to the experience. We get to allow, we get to open, we get to deepen, we get to work with the intelligence of breath, the spirit of breath through more ceremony and intentionality. And so that led to Sacred Breath Academy and the Sacred Breath Method, which is a holistic parasympathetic driven 
trauma-aware approach that works with the intelligence of body of the body, that works with the nervous system, that works with our deeper needs rather than forcing or pushing past them. Because so much of breathwork I found was actually dysregulating, even re-traumatizing people. And so this is where I've been guided to really pioneer this path where we get to examine this modality on a wide scale. And I'm actually kind of creating a movement out of it. And many, many people are joining the ride because intuitively, like you said, that method you're doing, I believe Wim Hof, or it's actually the origins are in TUMO. It's actually TUMO breathing feels so much yes. better when you're working with the nose because your body is relaxed and open in parasympathetic, which from polyvagal perspective creates ventral vagal homeostasis rather than a fight or flight tense protective response. Because if we are in protection, then the body is releasing cortisol. It's creating oxidative stress. It's armored. It's, it's resisting what's happening. We want to invite that safety, that allowing, that openness, that receptivity into the body. And I believe the nose is the intelligent path of breath always. Though we can work with little doses of mouth breathing, we don't wanna do these deep dive journeys in theta state, working with an open mouth format because we're reprogramming our resting breath to be incorrect. And the last piece I'll say is you mentioned Eastern philosophy, while it was very much known in the East that mouth breathing was called Nietzsche or adverse chi, incorrect chi. So you don't want to be breathing that way. And for anyone who's curious about all of the health imbalances that come from mouth breathing, there's a great book called Breath by James Nestor, and he goes really deep into it. And it's quite fascinating. Um, so yeah, I think that kind of sums up that part at least. Uh, yeah, brilliant summary. Thank you. Um... So you mentioned polyvagal, and for folks that don't um, uh, aren't aware of the vagus nerve, uh, well, first the word uh, vagus comes from the word vagrant, and uh, the reason why it emanates from that word or originates from that word is because it wanders all over the place in the body like a vagrant, and uh, also it attaches to all those important rest and digest uh, organs and tissues in the body. So uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about polyvagal and uh, you know how your work uh, touches in on that. Would love to. And I'm actually, for anyone wanting to learn it, I have a polyvagal workshop coming on on May 3rd, which is the foundations of polyvagal theory. If anyone wants to go into a two and a half hour deep dive, and maybe we can give that link later. But for now, I'd love to just offer a little bit of the framework. So it's a really beautiful groundbreaking framework that very simply allows us to befriend our nervous system, that allows us to create intimacy with our nervous system that allows us to understand the subtle language of our nervous system. And so many people are unaware of the three different nervous system responses that we oscillate between. So just a, a really brief overview, there's three different nervous system responses. So the first is known as ventral vagal homeostasis. Ventral vagal is when we're rooted, we're connected, we're open, we're relaxed, we're engaged with life. You can think of it as being grounded, planted, available, um, open for connection. The second, so that's a branch of the parasympathetic. There's a second branch of the parasympathetic called dorsal vagal. 
Dorsal vagal is also known as shutdown. It's when we shut down, check out, disassociate, detach, disconnect from life and from others and even from ourselves. And often people go into dorsal vagal shutdown when they're unable to be present with what they are experiencing. So it could happen through a traumatic experience. It could happen when the nervous system is overloaded and the stress is just piling up so much that the system just shuts down. It's a protective mechanism. A lot of children very early on learn shutdown and disassociation when they're raised in environments that are not supportive to really honoring their experience or their emotions, especially as children when we're told to just brush our emotions under the rug or boys don't cry or just put on a happy face or even how our joy gets shut down as children because the parents can't many parents can't hold children in that joy in that play and so children learn very quickly as a mechanism of self-preservation to just shut it down to disassociate to disconnect it's ultimately our being trying to protect us it's a learned mechanism but over time it maroons us from intimacy with life and others and we are Pack animals, I always say, we yearn for intimacy, we yearn for connection. And so that is one, um, the second aspect of the parasympathetic. Conversely, there is a sympathetic that we spoke to a moment ago. And the sympathetic nervous system is when we are in fight or flight. It's when we're activated, we're charged, we're ready to respond. Ideally, it was something that was given to us through our biology. If we were, a, let's say, an ancestor were to like meet a tiger in the jungle or um, enter into a dangerous situation, you want to be able to access your fight or flight because the adrenaline starts pumping, the cortisol starts flowing, you're ready to act, you're ready to respond. What has happened with modern society is that we have a highly dysregulated culture and collective that are perpetually locked into a low-grade stress response as a baseline. They are just stuck in fight or flight. And we don't have enough spaces for nervous system regulation, for somatic unwinding, for parasympathetic states. And so a lot of people actually kind of get stuck in that response and they are struggling to find their way back to that ventral vagal homeostasis and safety. Not only that, but we have a culture that glorifies the hustle, right? The go-go, the do-do, always stay busy, but really busyness and urgency is a trauma response for what would it's an aversion to what would happen if we were to slow down and be still and really meet what's living there. And so ideally within polyvagal theory, all of these branches work together where we are rooted in a baseline of ventral vagal homeostasis and we can oscillate and kind of veer as needed, but we know how to come back. However, a lot of people struggle to find their way back. And so this is why I'm so passionate about my work, because nothing can exist without nervous system coherence and regulation. Like 101 baseline, establish safety in the body, feel safe in the body, feel rooted in the body, feel connected in the body. Everything builds from there. Sovereignty, power, self-expression, creativity, pleasure, joy, all of the um, beautiful things of life build onto that. But we have to first anchor in the body and establish that root safety. And if we are chronically dysregulated, then it's something to really work with and come back to nervous system unwinding. 
And the last little piece I'll say is that so much of the open mouth breath work we spoke to a moment ago is like adding fuel to the fire. It's taking people that are already dysregulating and then giving them a dysregulating breath format and then expecting them to regulate. We cannot heal in the same energy that created the imbalance. We have to have the counterbalance of parasympathetic because most nervous systems are dysregulating dysregulated. And so it doesn't mean we can't play with that hyperventilation or that stress response, but we have to start with regulation and build. We can't summit a mountain until we start at the base. And so a lot of this breath work is just being thrown at the dysregulated without consulting with their nervous systems. And it's really adding that fuel to the fire. Yeah, no, uh, wonderful explanation. Thank you. Um, you know, years ago, I was in a group with, uh, people were athletic training and I trained a lot of uh, athletes back then. And uh, we developed a way to uh, just through heart rate monitoring, um, take athletes, uh, you know, high level athletes, you know, we're out on the track doing 440 repeats and, you know, doing crazy things in the gym and everything. But uh, what we did is we got a baseline, you know, for their vitals. And I did the same thing myself. And it's very uh, difficult to do this with a type A athlete kind of personality. But um, we established when they would go into sympathetic by way of their vitals. And so people became, all of us became very aware of when we hit that sympathetic just by getting that biofeedback. And so regardless of what we're, if we're doing track work or working in the ring or working out in the gym, uh, we always had to kind of stop whenever that threshold was hit and slow down, make sure we're still breathing through our mouth. So long story short, what we found is it took about six months of new habit building. And this, uh, you know, paid dividends uh, all the way around, not just in athletic training. But now in the middle of competition, uh, when a person was retrained and more conscious of their autonomic functions, starting with breath, then when you're hitting that wall normally, uh, where you go into that high sympathetic, you know, and, and there's nowhere else to go, you're still in parasympathetic. So at that moment when you, when you needed to put on the afterburners or just reach down and find a little more gas in the tank, you know, if you're in a and a multi-round fight or something, um, you know, you could then reach down and still have a little bit left because you've been staying in parasympathetic the whole time. So what I'd like, uh, you know, maybe you to comment on is um, I found that you can be in sympathetic or parasympathetic through that kind of technique, perform at a very high level that most people would think would require a full sympathetic mode but that didn't seem to be the case. But then, like you mentioned a minute ago, uh, you know, it's okay to dabble in those things and do a little bit of different breathing or something, even though it's contrary to what you want to do all the time. Uh, and at those last moments, you know, when we had to get a little bit extra, you know, then we did whatever it took, but then we had room because we we're in that nice parasympathetic, very, uh, um, um, you know, just nice resting state, even in the midst of, uh, you know, real high intensity activity. The other thing it does, uh, especially in, in sports and martial arts and things, is when you're in that parasympathetic mode, your peripherals are working all the time. So, um, you know, you really see things ahead of time before they're coming at you. And, you know, all those attributes that 
athletes uh, want to have, you know, we describe it as being in the zone sort of thing. So, so uh, any comments about all that? Yeah, there's a, a lot of layers to it. So if we want to dive into mm -hmm. more of the nuances, we can. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, mm -hmm. when we are regulated from a nervous system perspective, when we practice that autonomic listening, that deep listening and create that intimacy with our nervous system. So we know what each feels like, and we know how to work with our unique edges and range. It's a very different experience than someone who is out of relationship with their nervous system and feeling like they're more of a victim to their experience. There's also different qualities of sympathetic that are very much situation specific that are okay so let's let's give a couple examples so let's say someone's like in like excitement and passion and they're doing something they love or maybe it's the sport or their activity and they feel like all of this fire moving through them they might be somewhat in sympathetic but they're not over the edge of sympathetic if that makes sense so we want to kind of feel into where our edges are and know how to not tip the scale so that we kind of collapse are overpolarized into one where we're not really in balance. And I feel like athletes that maybe aren't in nervous system coherence in their day-to-day -day life, let's say they're like chronically stressed and dysregulated and have unprocessed emotions and aren't living a life in balance, then they may not be able to control sympathetic on the field or in the sport in the same way. But someone that's more in a flow state, it's almost like the, the metaphor of working with the force. You know, I look at it from that, like that framework you mentioned a moment ago, the martial arts or the Eastern framework, we can absolutely be in flow state. We can kind of work with the force. We can hone our spidey senses and we can actually be in both when we're balanced. So we can kind of veer into sympathetic because we need the fire for the sport. We need that passion and that energy. And we need maybe the adrenaline in that moment, but we're not falling so far over the edge that then we can't come back into homeostasis it's like it's like an athlete that imagine like they miss a pass or they do something and they get so angry and aggressive and they're like pounding on the field or they're getting in a fight with their teammate versus someone that's like let's keep going and they flow with the adrenaline and they keep moving because they're in that balance and coherence and flow state so there's a lot of like nuances and sub layers to this but the idea is regulating yourself in day-to-day -day life so you know each of your own unique nervous system responses and you can feel when you're veering into them when i am in Overpolarized stress, right? When I really feel like I've gone into stress, like too much into sympathetic, I know to draw completely back and self regulate and go fully into parasympathetic versus like in the excitement and the arrows and the passion and the fire of something where I'm slightly in sympathetic, but I'm not going to become dysregulated by it. So I think it starts with coherence in daily life, right? In day to day living, and then we extend it to everything else. But I don't want to also confuse people who are new to polyvagal theory either. Um, but it, I, I think it starts with befriending our own nervous system and really listening and knowing our own responses first. Fantastic. Um, one more comment, uh, kind of question as well about breathing, you know, before we segue into something else. And I'm sure Mike has a lot to say about all this, but, um, you know, we think of uh emotions as uh things that are provoked by past traumas 
And, you know, of course, that's absolutely true. Uh, I'd like to really get into the nexus between emotional release and breathing. I'd like to add one other little tidbit that I think people don't consider. And I found this to be true just by looking at cells under microscopes and doing all sorts of things in my work where we'd see how they react, uh, you know, when the, the, the host body was in a particular state of being. But it's important to understand that emotions, what we consider traumatic types, are not just provoked by dramas in our life or what mom and dad did to us or something, or something from past life. But every time we take a breath, then there are maybe um, particulates in the atmosphere that do not belong there, and they just happen to be neurotoxins. Or let's just say we take a pharmaceutical that overrides normal physiology. Or maybe we're subjected to waveforms by way of the very Wi-Fi that we're using right now. Those are all considered micro traumas. In fact, to the little microorganisms, it's not even micro to them. It's a big, big deal. All of those have, uh, you know, an emotional impact. And so I just, you know, always make the case, and I'm sure you do as well, that the breathing and those kinds of techniques are more important than ever because our our being is being bombarded on so many levels all the time. So, uh, and that's not a bummer or things we need to be paranoid about, but you know, it really runs deep as far as how we're kind of under the gun all the time. So we need to be consciously employing these technologies that you're talking about all the time. Well, I was, that's a good segue into one aspect of that because I think it's fair to understand that every individual is different, right? And I know I've been very conscious of trying to be more in the flow state, um, but I'm a passionate uh, sort of um, A personality, Virgo. And um, one, one modality that we mentioned in your bio that I think is important for people to understand, and we have discussed it in the past um, on this show, is somatics and trigger tracking and understanding that sort of um, consciousness about and we're really what we're talking about here is body spirituality, right? Being tapped into our body uh, so that we can better regulate how we are as spirit, because that's why we're here. So would you want to touch a little bit on that, Kaya, in terms of your processing through somatics and what that means to you? We, we did do a show on that in the past, um, but I think this is an extremely important subject this day and age when we're so hyper-connected and we're getting triggered left, right, just because of this hyper-connectivity we have thanks to the internet. And just so you know, at Music and Sky, we're implementing a, and I don't think anyone's ever done this before, we're actually implementing through our friend Pola Pratt, uh, an actual somatic processing uh, for the culture of the event and the community that everyone's going through um, this training so that we can work with each other and be, be sort of compassionate and responsible with each other, but also ourselves and understanding if we are triggered by someone in the community, especially at the event, what that process is so that we can grow together and really expand what it means to be a community. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on somatics. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can tie in emotions, somatics and triggers. <laughs> <laughs> Together, if you'd like. I mean, there there are so many layers to this, and I do multi-month trainings on this. I even have like an eight-step guide for working with the intelligence of our triggers as a as a PDF. But 
let, let's let's just kind of start with the foundations. I know you mentioned triggers. To me, triggers are intelligent signals that are delivering information to us, pointing where pointing to where we're not yet free. So triggers are revealing us to us. And typically a trigger is when a response or a reaction, especially your emotional reaction, is disproportionate to the situation. It doesn't mean that there's not emotional intelligence in situations with actual danger and threat. That's a very different thing. Typically, the trigger is arising as a psycho-emotional reaction that is disproportionate to what's happening. And therein lies our work. Rather than projecting the discomfort, projecting the content of the trigger, the opportunities to actually go inward and self-inquire, what is this trigger revealing to me about me? And I, I like to say triggers point to where we're not yet free. I'll, get, I'll just give a, a quick example. So I work with a lot of women. And I work especially with women to become more fully expressed, more embodied, more in their power, more in their sensuality, in essence, just reclaiming their feminine expression. And one of the biggest triggers with women that, you know, is found is that women are triggered by other women in their full expression. When other women are embodied, empowered, sensual in their voice and their truth, all the things that can be highly triggering. So what happens when we're unconscious of our triggers is that we end up projecting onto the infamous other or even judging another. However, if we were to work with the intelligence of the trigger, so if those women that we're projecting or judging would actually follow the trails of the trigger into themselves, they would find that it's actually pointing to a desire, a desire to inhabit whatever it is the person is inhabiting that's triggering them. So not only do triggers point to areas where we are not embodied or inhabiting or inviting something into our lives, but judgment as an extension of a trigger typically happens. So when we when we look at the judgment, what we're judging, it typically points to an area in ourselves we were forced to reject at an early age because it wasn't safe to be in it. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've been told that my joy is triggering for people, <laughs> my my excitement can be triggering for people, and it's not in that moment. It's it's not personal because I realize that the person being triggered, it's an opportunity for them to access their joy, to access their liberation, to access all of the spaces in themselves that they are shut down in, or disassociated in, or not embodying. And so everything that's happening within, unless we're in a true Really dangerous or life-threatening situation is an opportunity for self-intimacy. And if we were to get real with the content of our condemnation or our projection, we would find that it's actually an invitation to bring something new into our own lives, into our own embodiment, into our own experience. And so everything is information. And so, and okay, so let's go back to emotion. So to me, there's actually no such thing as a negative emotion. There's only unintegrated emotion. There's unreconciled emotion. There's unmet emotion. However, when we practice the art of leaning in, of turning toward, of softening into the places we're used to um, forcing against, or we're used to rejecting, or we're used to criticizing or judging. When we start to meet all parts of ourselves, when we start to welcome in those aspects we're used to rejecting, we actually return to our wholeness. Because often what we feel are negative emotions are simply 
energies and intelligences that are trying to get our attention. And I think someone mentioned being addicted to biochemical reactions. While that can be true, a lot of that rhetoric teaches us to just um, push down, quote unquote, the negative and turn toward what we want. But I believe that nothing ever goes away until it teaches us what we need to learn and what we resist persists. And so I have found the most powerful healing and alchemy and transformation comes when we have the courage and the willingness to lean in and to turn toward and to feel what we're avoiding. And when we give ourselves that full undiluted permission to feel without story, right? Without needing to understand it, just opening our hearts to the quote, uncomfortable or negative emotion we're avoiding. The beautiful thing about it is that it moves, it expresses it transforms but most people aren't giving themselves permission to be with what hurts to be with the discomfort to be with the pain and so it perpetuates and this is where somatics comes in talk therapy mental concepts working within the realm of the mind doesn't go very far <laughs> because um, many of you are familiar with neuroscience and there is groundbreaking research that suggests that we're upwards of 95% influenced by our subconscious, anywhere from 90 to 95%. As we become more conscious, I'm sure that percentage lessens. But the idea is that as Carl Jung so eloquently said, until we make the unconscious conscious, it will rule our lives and we will call it fate. But actually, we get entrained in these patterns. We replay and recreate experiences over and over and over based on what's living in our subconscious. It's why people are like, why does this thing keep playing out in my relationship? Why does this emotion keep showing up? Why does this pattern keep happening? It's because for better or worse, we play out what's living in our subconscious. And so this is where the somatics comes in. We have to get into the body. We have to get into the motions. We have to get into the subconscious. This is why talk therapy really only goes so far. And so many therapists are now turning to the somatic work because we have to get into our feeling centers. And also trauma lives in the body, not the mind. And so to have deep somatic relief and unwindings and reestablish safety and coherence in the body, we have to go in. And I always say the only way out is through or in. And there's so much spirituality that bypasses. I know a lot of you probably know the term spiritual bypass. A lot of our spirituality, a lot of these ideas of transcendence and consciousness, they live in the mind. They live as mental constructs. They're beautiful ideas. But the question is, what is happening in your now moment? What is alive in real time? And are there any ways in which these concepts are marooning you from true self-intimacy, which also means turning toward the hurt and the pain and the discomfort as much as you're meeting the beauty and the joy and the creativity and all the the yummy things of life as well. And so to be a human is to be intimate with the full range of our experience from ecstasy to agony, from grief to joy. It's all sacred. It's all intelligent. It's all a part of it. And when we deny the discomfort, it only festers. When we repress our emotions, they began to 
culminate and grow and magnified and eventually erupt like a volcano? Have you ever seen people just have these breakdowns or crises or emotional explosions? It's because they're not meeting those emotions. And I believe that every emotion carries a signal. It carries an intelligence. It's just energy and motion. And when we can invite in these parts of ourselves that connect to the uncomfortable emotions, we find often they are parts of us that are yearning for soul retrieval. It could be a wounded inner child aspect. It could be an inner, inner adolescent, adolescent. It could be a shadow piece that's wanting to be integrated. It could be an ego aspect that is way too prominent. And so the idea is to start to relate to these pieces, but not from them. So we can really come back into that wholeness. And the last little piece I'll say is that our wholeness doesn't discriminate. So why do we, why do we operate in these neat little boxes of love and light and positivity and bow tied spirituality? That's not life. Life is rich. Life is dynamic. Life is multi-spectrum and multi-dimensional. And to be masterful as a human is to have the willingness to create intimacy with all of it. A true master can open their hearts to all of it and no longer deny or war against emotions or versions of themselves. And also it's the willingness to open our heart to all of it. Because when we're in these internal battles between positive and negative, good and bad, spiritual and non-spiritual, we start warring against ourselves. We create schisms and divisions and splits in ourselves. And it's a form of self-rejection and it's a form of self-abandonment. And so I find the deepest healing is welcoming all versions, all parts, all emotions into the center, into our true wholeness. And what we find is the emotions that felt frightening or scary or uncomfortable when we just give ourselves permission to feel to breathe into them to journey with them to sit with them to have tea with them they move they shift they alchemize they transform but we have to to bring it all back we have to learn the art of somatic inquiry we have to learn how to feel what's alive and present within us to really meet our emotions to listen to the intuition within to create a relationship with our being on the inner dimensions as much as the external. And so to me, it's also a dissension as much as an ascension to fully claim these vessels as humans, because we didn't come here to be disassociated in mental constructs of spirituality. We came here to actualize and embody the full spectrum of our humanity, which means living in our bodies, opening ourselves to life and creating intimacy with all parts of our experience and our earth walk. Uh, wonderful. So uh, just a little bit more on the somatics part. Um, a real long time ago, I trained with Thomas Hanna, uh, you know, the original somatic school and did a certify there. And, uh, you know, it was a big deal in, in my practice to also train people how to do body movements and use your body to release because, you know, you have an emotion. Uh, and if it's habitual, of course, you have a, a neuromuscular secretion there at that junction that, you know, it is it is kind of habit forming and nerves morphologically change in size, shape and function to accommodate that. It's like train tracks. And, um, and, you know, I believe everything can be done by creating coherence on more of those uh, etheric levels. On the other hand, it really helps if you can work both ends at the same time. So 
uh, when you mentioned somatics, are you incorporating actual physical exercises, movements and things, or are you just, uh, well, you tell me how you, how you go about it. It's really all of the above um, and mm -hmm. more. So the, mm -hmm. the most prominent and potent uh, method in my world is the full breathwork journeying because we get to incorporate breath, movement, sound, emotional release, somatic experience, shaking, tapping, unwinding. So I, I look at it as a try. Okay, so to me, the, the deepest form of somatic release is this triangle of breath, movement, and sound. And if you're not in an experiential journey, you can do dancing, you can do primal screaming, you can do shaking. So there's many, many ways to release energy. But the idea is that when we unlock repressed energy or we're recalibrating that density, um, that stored stuff energy needs somewhere to go. It needs an outlet, right? So whether that's sound, whether that's movement, whether that's howling into a pillow or into a forest, whether it's tears, whether it's laughter, even like yawning, there's all these subtle forms of trauma release as well. So all of it is relevant. The coherent, it's interesting you mentioned the etheric coherence because I find in breath work, What's happening is that we're getting these energetic upgrades through working with the intelligence of breath and prana, where we are coming back into coherence. And as we connect to that coherence, there's things that have to purge on the physical level. It's kind of like a cleanse or a detox where there's a lot of physical purging to make new space for new life. So it all works together. The more we tap into our truth, the more we come back home to ourselves, the more we get back into alignment and coherence, things also have to move on the physical landscape. So it's really multidimensional. It's it's mental, it's emotional, it's physical, it's spiritual, it's energetic. It's working on all of those levels, but emotions simply want to move, right? Repressed energies want to move. And so whether it's a primal practice, a dance practice, a movement practice, breath work, um, tai chi, qigong. I mean, those are usually working more in the subtle fields, but I find that you want to practice that's working on all channels and supporting you in releasing physically, emotionally, and energetically. And when you're grounded in coherence when you're in that alignment then you get to move through the world rooted in your true north you are really attuned to your inner compass and you start to to live and relate and take action from alignment and it's a very different experience and so often the more clearing work we do there's less density to purge because we're we're more in that spaciousness of truth and um, coherence. So a lot of times we're purging the old stuff, right? From way back, sometimes it's ancestral, sometimes it's childhood or it's other lifetimes even. And then the more we come back into alignment, there's less and less and less to move because we're rooted in that compass of truth or that, that true North, I call it. Yeah, What's you mentioned the concept of... Uh... Go ahead, Mike, you go ahead. No, you, you go, please, sir. Well, I was just uh, going to comment, you, know, you use the term unwinding. And, you know, when I'm involved in my osteopathic work, whether we're, uh, you know, work on the viscera or the cranial uh, mechanism. And, you know, when you tune in there with your hands, you, when you're in the midst of a correction or reset, you literally, it literally unwinds, you know, and you can feel that uh, tactily. Uh, so it's, it's a real concept. And then, 
uh, along with that, I experience that you do get a lot of emotional, you know, uh, catharsis as well. Things come to the surface. And then you might have to go periodically, uh, you know, a handful of times or something, go back and repeat that. But each time there's less and less physical unwinding, less and less emoting, uh, you know, that's necessary. And, um, you know, so it, it becomes, you know, you can't separate the parts, whether we're talking about the mental, emotional, it, everything becomes visceral. It, it can't, you know, not affect everything as above, so below. So do you um, see any difference in your techniques as far as how they work or maybe adaptations that you need to make uh, to accommodate someone who is wearing a female spacesuit versus a male spacesuit? The question is, do I adopt for females versus males? And well, um, here's uh, more specific. I just found, you know, in my own experience that, you know, we're different. And uh, it's, uh, there's just a little bit of a different interface physiologically, neurologically, emotion, and certain things uh, seem to be more amenable to working with one of the you know, whatever sex you're working on, uh, it, it, there, it did require a little bit of an adaptation for, uh, you know, yeah. that kind of temperament. Totally. Yeah. Well, we mm -hmm. actually have two different certification trainings that one mm -hmm. of them is specifically for women with that in mind, because it includes the womb work and the womb healing, mm -hmm. the sister wound, um, feminine reclamation. Mm -hmm. And it's also mm -hmm. with the, the breath work training under the feminine umbrella, there's also a feminine mystery school. So we have created a pathway mm -hmm. exclusively for women to really go deep into the feminine landscape and, and their own unique way of experiencing things. However, our standard training is for everyone. So it just depends mm -hmm. on how someone wants to work. Um, but I do find for women, especially the work brings them into the womb healing and into the womb mm -hmm. space and into the generational um, mm -hmm. alchemy and really transmuting things for their bloodline because epigenetics is such an, an incredible piece in both directions. We get to heal the trauma of our lineage, but we also get to glean the gifts and there's just so much there. Um, but particularly, like if you're looking at, at it from breath work, you know, we do invite women to work with their intuition and adapt the technique in whatever way may feel um, more aligned from for them. And especially mm -hmm. this is why the dysregulating open mouth breath work tends to really not work for women specifically, because they're so much more sensitive, they're more attuned, they're more in their feeling centers. And that dysregulated stress response just doesn't feel good for so many women. And so particularly, I've heard that story from many, many females of how the dysregulating breath did more harm than good for them. Because like you said, our composition is more attuned, it's more sensitive, it's more feeling based, and we feel on so many different levels all at once. And so less is often more. Um, however, other women maybe want like more of the fire and more of the intensity. So it is also specific to the individual. Um, but we always say follow your intuition and adapt as needed. Oh, good. Well said. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. And you, you uh, uh, you voiced it a lot better than what I was trying to ask there. You know, I was involved a lot in the past in uh, in uh, with certain indigenous groups and uh, working with them. And we did uh, 
retreats, we'll say, that were all male, you know, similar to, I think, what you're describing a lot of your uh, women workshops. And there is just a very definite um, resonance, you know, unique to the male experience and kind of appealing to, you know, what men go, you know, go through on this plane uh, and the, the unique traumas as you're trying to hold that polarity, you know, for, for both sexes. And, uh, you know, in women, women workshops, uh, you know, same thing as far as what you're doing. So what I was trying to get at is, you know, we definitely have, uh, you know, different makeups and there's a lot of overlap, of course, and both of us, both sexes have both polarities within them, but we tend to manifest uh, one versus the other. So I just found that it took different approaches, you know, in the past and things I was involved with. So Mike, you were about to say something earlier, unless you had a response well, sooner. Well, it actually ties into that, Bear. I was just going to say, really, this is nothing new, right? The past is the future. And I was literally going to bring up indigenous culture uh, in terms of what is traditionally what we think of like a, a rain dance or a spiritual dance. What are they doing? They're dancing around the elements, the fire, the water, the air together, uh, doing somatic movements, chanting, and oftentimes modern the modern mind looks at that as just sort of some silly spiritual, um, cultural, uh, you know, representation of um, primitive man aspiring to be connected with their gods or something. But really, they're tapped into the physical spirituality. They get this. They understood this. And I guess it's really about integration. It's about integrating it into your life uh, and making it part of your lifestyle. So it's not just like, I'm going to go do my somatic, go to my somatic practitioner. What they did is they actually integrated this into their culture, into their lifestyle, uh, and it became part of their being. And what they had a um, thousands of years of, uh, of you know, basic uh, peaceful co-inhabitants on this, on, in this plane, on this planet without all the destruction. So they were onto something. So uh, it's funny you bring that up, Bear, because that's exactly what I was thinking of, is looking to these indigenous cultures. They obviously got something, but they did seem to separate the men and the women, right, And in, in terms of how they're doing this. And I think we yeah. can kind of go next level because I – Right now, in, the, in for instance, society, we're seeing this trans, this whole trans, uh, argue, you know, debate or whatever. And we obviously know there are top-down institutions pushing this wokeism for political reasons and all that. But I also believe it's a reflection of the confusion and the disconnect from the polarity of the divine feminine and the divine masculine. And I think it's important that we can tap back into that through integration of our own individual spiritual practice. And I, I love that you bring that up there uh, in terms of what your experience was. And I'm wondering, Kaya, um, are you finding that men are, are more open to the divine feminine and what you do and how that's affecting them? And where do we go in terms of the divine masculine as well? Because that's been completely deflected and manipulated and demeaned. And how do we get back to where we have that balance, but also maybe push it to the next level so we can have better integration in our lives? Yeah, integration and embodiment are key with, with everything, not even just the, the sacred union or the sacred marriage, because there's so much compartmentalized, like you said, spirituality or healing work, where it's not really being lived in every area of life, which means our communities, our relationships, our family dynamics, our friendships, our service, our work, our dharma. And so a lot of times people compartmentalize like, oh, this is my healing work here. This is my spirituality here. And then they're showing up 
in a very unbalanced way in other areas. And so I feel that this concept of a new paradigm or a golden age is all about living our spiritual um, capacity in real time, like really bridging divinity into humanity. Um, but I, I want to circle back to the other question. So I feel that powerful things happen when men circle together and when women circle together. So for women, it's healing the sister wound. There's things like red tent ceremonies, um, sacred sister circles, wise women councils. There's ways for women to come together to reconnect through this very long-standing womb of wound of division of separation of competition i'm very passionate about supporting women and going into the shadow of the feminine and healing the sister wound which has been very much programmed and imprinted for millennia um, with something also called the healer's wound or the witch wound or the priestess wound. You can call it whatever you want, but it's the wound that women carry that comes up the moment they try to stand in their power or speak their truth or offer their gifts. It's, it's a deeply encoded wound. And I feel like there's, there's a rite of passage in healing and connecting and sisterhood first to feel grounded in a woman's feminine expression so that she can then come into divine masculine dynamics if um, whether it's like in a partnership or in a greater way and feel rooted in her expression so there is the inner uh, marriage the masculine and feminine there's the outer way we're, we're relating and I feel like it almost it almost seems that women it, it's more powerful for women to heal together and for men to heal together and then converge and then unite so that they're not bringing that distortion into the the men's circles or projecting it on the masculine. There's also a deep patriarchal wound that women are working through. And so I see the power of both. I see the power of men's circles, women's circles, and then coming together in community and then creating that coherence as well. But there's a there's a beautiful phrase that's coming to mind, and it is what is not embodied is not known. And so even deeper than cohering in circle is first and foremost, refining ourselves as well and really living our words and our truths and really embodying these principles so they're not these abstract ideals that are living in the mind. I cannot tell you how many people I have encountered on my path that were huge names in the spiritual movements or the consciousness movements, and they were not living their words behind closed doors. You can simply observe the kind of like they... the Dalai Lama lick, sucking on uh, little boys' tongues. <laughs> well, that's not the real Dalai Lama. That's kind of like exactly. that's another whole wormhole. But uh, yeah, he's not prevalent, right? Ages so ago, many yeah, we were talking. Yeah. yeah, so many leaders just not embodying their words, and it also becomes rampant even in the spiritual communities with the bypass and with the inflation and with the ego. And I feel like before we can get to this new paradigm coherence of community, I mean, yes, we can still have it along the way, but before we can really anchor it, I believe we have to refine ourselves to become the living emanation of the world we want to see. And as we all come back into our coherence, we will then weave together in a greater coherence. But there seems to be a lot to clean up still. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a, 
Yeah. There's a lot left for us. And a lot of people think we're just going to snap our fingers and get there. But I believe it's a process. It's an unfoldment. It's a journey. And the more we can refine ourselves, the more we can create external coherence outwardly. And, and like you said, you know, it's incumbent upon each sex to um, take care of their own issues. And then when you come together, then you can find that that ultimate and final coherence between the polarities and, and find that balance. But yeah, as long as there's wounds on either side, it's going to be a tough uh, call just for grins. Um, you know, one of my favorite books of all time was uh, mist of Avalon. Have you ever heard of that one or read it? I think yes. maybe ages ago. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So it's an oldie. So, uh, before your time. So I, I wouldn't expect, uh, <laughs> And Mike, I don't know if you've ever read it or heard of it. I haven't. I'm writing it down. Oh, it's amazing. Again, probably in my top five books of all times. But it's written by, uh, who is it? Marion Bradley, I believe is her name. Um, Marion. And uh, uh, forgive me if I'm getting it wrong. But it's it's centered around a whole novel with a whole lot of truth in it. Uh, it's about the whole Camelot era. But The Mist of Avalon, the title really is um central to the theme of the book and it's a it's a hefty book it's wonderful i've reread it a couple times and uh there was the isle of avalon and on that isle you had the high priestess and all the other priestess and um uh arthur uh they would confer with merlin all the time you know because merlin was uh you know embodied that uh the male wisdom side but different than the way the priestess would tune in but the point is is uh they would journey to this aisle and confer on all matters of the kingdom with the priestess and that was the final kind of uh decision making with whatever was going on because the priestess and and the whole uh, monastery, the feminine monastery there was acknowledged as having that essence of being able to tune into that level of wisdom on that side of the polarity. And, you know, whatever was uh, consulted there, you know, kind of became what would be established within the kingdom. And uh, I won't do the whole book here, but uh, it it was about the uh, mist, uh, let's just say the that whole principle uh, disappearing behind the mist because there are certain forces on the planet that were becoming uh, very uh, prominent and trying to overcome that that priestess essence. And, um, and then it was uh, eventually just kind of lost. Uh, there were certain characters, you know, on the other side that was aware of it, but then after a while they couldn't even you know, uh, because there always had this priestess that oversaw the boat ride over to the isle, uh, you know, that just stopped happening and everything. But it's just an amazing, amazing story and really elaborating on everything you're talking about and uh, kind of in, a, I believe, uh, you know, taken from, you know, real life the way it used to be before things got go so confused. I guess it's a trilogy, anyway, Bear. It, it's a trilogy? Yeah. Um, it should be, but it's a single book. Oh, Okay. Someone said in chat, a yeah. beautiful book, happily, it's a trilogy. I don't know. So uh, uh, there's another Bradley. trilogy uh, that starts where that one left off, but that's a story for a different way. Uh, Got it. 
Well, you know, it's you know, I think what we're talking about today is one of the great grandest solutions of everything we're seeing out in the external is going back to the internal, which is our main theme that we seem to discuss every week, uh, Kaya. But you know, you look out and you see all the issues with the migrants and the left right you know, false paradigm and the economic woes and all the calamity around wokeism and everything. And really, the solution isn't walls and politics and war and and new economics. It's what we're talking about today. And in the past, you know, it's a spiritual reckoning, right? It's a spiritual solution. In the past, we've seen during great times of tyranny, the spiritual solution pops up, but typically it's led around like what you were saying, false gurus and centralized institutions. And I'm really, I'm, I have so much hope and faith, not necessarily hope, but just faith and knowing as Bear has said many times, it's already in the works. It's already happened that the great awakening is happening because we're finally at this cycle of decentralized, independent, individual awakening and not looking to the false guru. Um, do you see that happening in your perspective right now and in, in everything you're involved with? So I absolutely feel that there is and has been an awakening taking place that cannot be stopped and will not be televised. <laughs> and so many people are waking up to the truth of who they are and why they are here. And beyond you know the pieces of inner refinement and doing our own clear clearing and healing work there's also a greater i believe a greater alchemical process that's happening where the there's an awakening of the human heart and i believe the awakening of the human heart will be what saves us when we can not only remember our own divinity and the truth of who we are but then cohere with others in that remembrance through critical mass and have this beautiful flowering and pollination and even renaissance spiritual renaissance however something i always say is at the same time people are at all different stages of their evolution there are some people that feel that state every single day and they're living from that state and there's others that actually have to go through a dark night of the soul first and collectively as a ratio i also feel like it has to get worse before it gets better but that is alchemy and so something i say is there is no creation without destruction we cannot birth something new without the dissolution of the old we don't just snap our fingers and have the world we want it's a process it's a dying it's a dissolution and it's especially a destruction of systems that do not serve where we're going but in the midst the, the powers that be are pulling out all the stops and are holding on for dear life and i one friend who's very psychic said she saw this visual of like these dark forces on the edge of a cliff right but they're pulling out every stop possible and so I believe it's really drawing upon the archetype of the visionary and the visionary holds what has not yet come to be the visionary anchors the seed of potential the visionary um really like creates a vision in their mind's eye and becomes the living emanation of the world they want to see that's why i said it's not just about talking about it or thinking about it or these mental constructs it's about living it it's about breathing it it's about embodying it it's about becoming it and until we become it we can't actually get there and so that's why not only do 
we have to become the living emanation of that new world, that new paradigm. But we have to also give others the same permission by way of our own embodiment. So by us living it, we then create a felt experience, a reverberation, a frequency that others can then attune to and say, hey, wait, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of you know, all of these other things that aren't really serving me. I'm tired of feeling like this. I want what that person has. I'm curious about this over there. Like there has to be an alternative over here. And so I feel like in the midst of it all, the agendas, the, you know, the movements, the dark forces, I've actually just tuned all of that out because I made the choice at one point. It's the Native American proverb, what wolf do you want to feed? And I made the choice that I want to feed the world I want to step into. So I now have redirected all of my life force energy into empowering others to become sovereign, to become aligned, to become coherent, to become activated and actualized so that we can co-creatively dream and build and birth this world together, but not until we become it. And so by tuning out, I, I don't even care what agenda is happening these days. It, it's a waste of my precious life force energy. It's like the more we feed that, the more we give away our life force energy, the more we pour our energy into the world we want to see, the more we build it because everything starts as a vision. And then we get to roll up our sleeves and dive in and dig in and work with other visionaries who are holding the same vision to create it. But we don't snap our fingers, we become it, we build it, we actualize it. And so, yes, I have hope, I have faith, it's all happening. It's just a process and we have to get comfortable with the, the burning and the dissolution and the destruction that's also happening in tandem with the beauty and the transformation and the becoming. And then last but not least, many people are going through that dark night of the soul. And so a lot of people, as these frequencies change, I believe we're moving into a more densely charged area of the galactic plane where the rate of vibration, and this is actually kind of backed by science. I don't know how much you guys have gone into it, but the rate of vibration is increasing on the planet. And what that means is that the ways we were accustomed to hiding or avoiding or denying aren't so available. And so a lot of people are being confronted with themselves a lot of people are having breakdowns and crises and dark nights of the soul but it's really a breakdown to break through some of the greatest crises lead to spiritual awakenings and so it's almost like every soul is meeting themselves right now every soul is um, coming into relationship with everything they've been avoiding and are initiating and alchemizing and moving toward that alignment and that coherence but each person is at a different micro stage and the greater macro process. So the more we can just live our truth and embody the world we want to see and become the living emanation, I do feel we will move toward critical mass, but staying devoted along the way and not getting sucked into these agendas because that's what they want. They want you to give them your power. They want you to feed the beast. They want you to infight. So it's like stay the course ultimately and stay true to the vision. Well, the, the momentum is gathering exponentially towards the truth. And uh, so that is simultaneously dissipates that other side, which is a real momentum that's kind of overcome humanity for a long time. So the folks that maybe are a little more reluctant to face their shadows, uh, there's really no choice about it anymore because 
you know, there's there's less of that other side that's keeping them there. And, uh, you know, and then eventually, you know, and as they even said in scripture and things and and all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, accounts from luminaries, uh, you know, across the world is at this end time, all truth would be known and then speed would exponentially increase. And I think that's what's happening right now. But, you know, it, it's we always say, well, the, the battle's already been won in alchemical principles. You know, you understand the mechanisms of life of how things start from the pure consciousness and then precipitate through the ethers into our experience and what we think of as matter. And so if we just look around now, what are we doing? There's a whole lot of uh, truth coming in on the mental plane. Emotions are accommodating that. And so all of that has to settle down and precipitate into our new experience, which is why the collective is growing in that, you know, particular direction, which means that just as you said, uh, you know, we're right at critical mass and it could come any second. And the, the, the last thing I'll say is uh, even the, the all full spectrum assault, you know, with the news cycles and all the agendas, and everything that's backfiring, too, because people are in fatigue. Uh, you know, it doesn't have the same dramatic impact on our emotional bodies anymore. And uh, people don't believe it as much. So yeah, it's it's a done deal. We're good. So um, tell me, Kaya, uh, what other subject matter would you like to get into? I know we kind of started with, uh, you know, breath work and traversed into emotional release and everything, but I know you bring a lot to the table. So any topics you'd like to focus in on? I mean, we've covered. I don't want to put so, you on the spot, but so yeah, much. I know we. Trying <laughs> to think of what yeah. feels the most relevant right now. Or anything uh, you want to kind of close up on? Uh, tell the audience about where uh, they can find you. Um, are you? Do you have any uh, events coming up? Um, is there a way to join your mystery school? Uh, want to give us a little insight into what you're doing right now? Yeah, definitely. So if anyone was intrigued uh, by the polyvagal framework, we have a foundational workshop on May 3rd um, to really go into that and not just the framework, but real-time practices to befriend your nervous system, regulate your nervous system in day-to-day -day life so that we are no longer um, controlled by these states, but we have the power of choice. And in each moment, we can come back into that balance. Um, so that's on our website, sacredbreathacademy.life, um, I believe under services. If you want to take a breathwork journey and experience the power of conscious connected breathwork, we actually host them weekly. Um, we have an amazing team of facilitators. So you're always welcome to take a Zoom journey with us and have a beautiful, experiential, deep dive breathwork journey. And that really invites the emotional release, the trauma release, coming back into our alignment, our truth, spiritual insights. There's so much beauty that comes through these journeys. If you want to go a little deeper, we have an intro to breath work course, um, which is a self-paced course just to lay the foundations of breath work and all the levels it's working on and really understand the power of breath. 
um, physically and physiologically, anatomically, emotionally, energetically, all the ways. And then it also comes with a breathwork journey. For anyone who is versed in breathwork or is a facilitator or practitioner in the healing arts and you're desiring to train in breathwork, to become certified in it, maybe add another tool to your tool belt, especially people wanting to blend more somatics into their practice, we have our breathwork facilitator trainings and certifications. So we have one um, holistic trauma-informed standard four-hour training, which would allow you to become a breathwork facilitator and practitioner. And then we have the other one mentioned under the umbrella of the sacred feminine, and that's a 500-hour training. And not only is it a breathwork certification, but it's also a feminine mystery school. So we go very deep into everything we shared earlier um, not only doing the womb healing and alchemy, the ancestral clearing work, the emotional work, but also the shadow wound, the sister wound, the mother wound. Um, we work with a Mary Magdalene archetype. We um, do womb um, re-imprinting ceremonies. Um, so many things, feminine shadow work, there's a long list of things, but it's a really powerful mystery school on top of a facilitator training. And those trainings take place part um, online. And then we have one week in person. If anyone's wanting to just go full into a deep dive two week training, we just launched um, a two week in person breathwork facilitator training um, in the beautiful Thai islands in Thailand this September um, on Koh Samoy, which is this gorgeous uh, island in Thailand. And so that is another option. And then we have two other, we have a lot, I'll just sum it up. We have two other leadership trainings. One is for new paradigm leadership and really leading us into this new paradigm, this new way, this new template, this golden age and all of the qualities um, of new paradigm leadership and really taking you on a deep initiatory journey. And then the other one we have is for women specifically, and it's um, conscious leadership, holistic business and brand, and also feminine embodiment. So it's for women desiring to actualize into their full spectrum feminine leadership and create a soul-led business and brand where they get to really bring their dharma to life and also receive abundance and reciprocity and create a business that is cyclical and nervous system led and just all of the things um, that come with a feminine business and we also work with the queen's archetype so initiating into the queen um, and what that looks and feels like in real time so that's our other feminine leadership and conscious business training and then there's other little nuggets on our website but those are those are the main ones and we have a beautiful community of hundreds and hundreds of people all around the world so we're also creating our own little tribe and some of the people that connect through our trainings just become the dearest soul family lifelong friends so we're also creating a movement at the same time beyond the trainings we're really pollinating and weaving a conscious heart-led community that really gets to anchor in that visionary archetype it's like we get to bring this work into the world we get to have meaningful purpose-driven rewarding work 
We get to be abundantly reciprocated. So to create that conscious wealth, we get to live our truth. We get to have amazing connections and relationships and communities. So this is really the life to have it all. I believe this is a life where we get to thrive, to live our truth, to live in abundance and to give something back into the world in the way of impact and legacy. And so we really anchor all of these pillars so that you can become fully expressed. You can um, live your dreams and your dharma and you can have that thrive, that thriving life. So for anyone that had to heal like the um the healer's wound or the martyr wound it's like so so often in the past in spiritual work we felt like we had to sacrifice or not have abundance or have limitation but i believe now we get to bridge it all together and create balance and no longer feel depleted in spiritual work and healing work. So we get to fill our own cup and then give into the world. So if you're curious, that website is sacredbreathacademy.life and you can learn about the trainings under the training tab and then some of those other little offerings, I believe under services. And also we'd love to invite you into our journey. So if you wanna just start with a journey, those are happening every week and we would love to invite you there. Yeah, it's an amazing site. I took a deep dive on it yesterday and, and it's wonderful. There's so much there. I encourage everybody to go there. And, you know, we talk a lot about uh, building parallel societies here to decentralize and become self-sufficient in our food production, everything else. But I think uh, part of what's missed a lot in all of this uh, kind of prepping and returning to nature is the fact that you know a long time ago we lived in communities where men and women both um, you know had did these kinds of uh, gatherings and exercises where there is rites of passage where women could gather and really understand the essence of that polarity and the same thing with men and so what you're doing now is is so so important and uh, you know, thank you for all your efforts. It's it's amazing to work. And I, I hope to, um, you know, we can all meet up uh, in person someday. And I'm sure we will because we're doing a lot of, uh, you know, similar events and things and meeting up. And that's a wonderful thing, you know, and what keeps me doing this out here and gets me out of the, you know, digging outside on the farm there is, you know, we get to meet just uh, wonderful people like yourselves. And, and, and it really, really is happening now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just so encouraging. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for spending time with us today. Thanks, Kaya. Uh, that this was awesome. I knew as soon as I saw met you in Miami, you were the perfect uh, fit for the Alpha Vedic community. You really embody the divine feminine and, and, and are make an impression of that, you know, this is uh, this is the way to go. This is the path forward for internal discovery and truth, and that really is the solution. So, thanks so much. And you know, once again, music and sky—it's funny. We we integrate all this stuff. It's all about the creative flow of the inspiring work of the artist as being, you know, truth, freedom, truth and freedom emanating from the love and the agape, the eros, all the aspects of love through creativity. But we have always done holotropic breath work. And it was always led by man. And I love Eric and he's phenomenal at it. But I, I am very interested in exploring your modality. So I'm inviting you if you would or someone, one of your practitioners would like to come out to Music and Sky this summer and lead uh, your style of breath work, because we always do a, a sort of center point 
breathwork workshop that most people take part in. And the holotropic has been very um, transformative for a lot of folks. It's very popular in our community at Music and Sky, but I'm very open to uh, looking towards your modality. So if you want to discuss offline about that, we'd love to uh, to do that. So uh, thank you so much. And guys, I, her website is in the notes below. Please go visit it if this is calling you. So much to uh, to do there and join with Kaya. And I do love that you, as a major part that Bear and I stress, the Alpha Vedic is the divine abundance that comes through uh, when you're in flow. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, with engaging with abundance and prosperity. That's our right. So thank you for that. And hey, guys, uh, please give us a thumbs up, share with your friends and family, help this uh, video go far and wide. It's on Rumble, Odyssey, Unite.Live, YouTube. It will come out as an audio podcast as well. So please share that. It really helps us out and will help Kaya out. And remember to get outside, get your feet in the dirt, go grow, uh, go grow something, get your gardens cranking. It's springtime. Go for a hike. Go hug a tree. Mother Nature's our best teacher. Go show her some love. And we'll see you next week with Chance Garten. We'll be here, I believe. Uh, next Thursday. It'll be a good one. Love you guys. See you next Thursday at 10 a.m. Peace. Thank you both.